Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. On tonight's episode, we will be taking a look at the upcoming free agent market, some rumored trades as well as fits for those trades, how Line A might fit into this equation and what Winnipeg could get in return, and general NHL news and discussion because right now Winnipeg's kind of in a bit of a holding state and I think next week as we start to get closer to the draft, we're going to hear a lot more buzz around Patrick Line as well as prospects the Jets might be looking at for picking up at 10th overall. Before we get to Winnipeg's future, we'll talk a little bit about the current present trade and free agent market because there are some interesting rumors that have surfaced and one of the big ones seems to be connecting Oliver ekman Larson to the Edmonton Oilers. I look at the Oilers as a team that are kind of in a weird state of flux. I think their roster is pretty good, uh, at least in certain areas. Certainly they have some of the best centers in the league, but when you look at their wing depth and the defense, there are quite a few concerns, and the goaltending situation isn't great either. Still, the Oilers will certainly be looking to make improvements wherever they can, and one of the ones that was suggested was from Ryan Rishog of, I believe, TSN, and he suggested that the Oilers might be able to get a look and a deal for OEL if you go in with the first round pick that the Oilers currently possess, Chris Russell, and something else. Thinking about it, I think it's a complicated question because Ekman Larson a few years ago was one of the best right-handed defensemen in the league, and certainly an amazing back-end presence, very dynamic offensively, and a really good transition skater. But over the past couple of seasons, we've seen his performance basically crater. What becomes a little bit dicey here is that he is, what, around $8 million per season, and he signed for several years with a limited movement clause, as far as I understand. If you are making a play for Ekman Larson, I think you are going in with the expectation that he rebounds significantly, which, in his case, he's not particularly old. I think he's 27 or 28, and certainly he seems like a pretty good rebound candidate for a guy who used to be one of the most exciting young defensemen in the league. I tend to believe that if he leaves and he goes to Edmonton under Dave Tippett, I feel like it would actually be pretty decent because, you know, he's already been coached by Tippett before. I'm sure that they have some familiarity. And Tippett would likely understand one of the better ways to deploy OEL. I think Ekman Larson doesn't really fit the way that Rick Tockett wants to play. And unfortunately for OEL, his on-ice results have definitely cratered over the past couple of years. But in moving to Edmonton, he'd get a phenomenal support cast in the form of guys like Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. It sounds like Yesapoye Arby is coming back overseas from Finland. I think that that's a huge bonus for Ekman Larson, who will probably be looking for a team with more offensive upside. You know, while the Coyotes are a pretty okay squad, I think a lot of what they did was sort of lean on their goaltending duo of Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta the rest of the team isn't exactly filled with a lot of high-end goal scorers. They have a lot of depth contributors who I think are a little bit underappreciated, including guys like Connor Garland and, and some of those underappreciated and underrated scores. But the rest of the team is not great, and OEL would be certainly a big loss if he moves to Edmonton. But by the same token, he's not performing for the Yotes. I think that his contract is a huge anchor. I just don't really know about bringing on a guy like Chris Russell in his place. That said, Russell is definitely a lot cheaper and he'll come with some prospects or, or picks and whatnot, and I think that that would be certainly a good look for the Yotes to get a bit more young talent into the team because they're certainly not in a spot where I feel like, as of right now, they're going to be continually competitive. That maybe speaks to the the team being stuck in a bit of a, a cycle of failure in some respects. I feel like the Yotes 
have shown signs of being a little bit promising, but guys like Clayton Keller haven't really taken the next step. Jakob Chikrin has only started becoming a bit of a regular due to his health over the past couple of seasons, and their goaltending situation is a little bit unstable just because Ranta gets injured a lot, and Kemper, you know, he's certainly on the older side of things, so I don't know if you want to rely on his health holding out. And hopefully, you know, Aiden Hill with their with their AHL affiliate kind of takes the next step and is starting to become a more regular backup and even a starter down the road, but Beyond that, I think you do have some questions looking at this overall roster depth, because as far as offensive prospects are concerned, I think that they really need that franchise piece. With Taylor Hall gone, there's not really a key lead attacking forward, just a lot of guys who are probably asked to do a little bit more than they're capable of. And you know, I'm a big fan of Christian Dvorak, but I don't think that he's an elite first-line center. Speaking of guys who may not be elite first-line centers, but should certainly get a look in terms of trade assets, I feel like Charles Houdon out of the Montreal Canadiens would be somebody that, if I'm the Jets, I'd be heavily pursuing. You look at what the line A situation paints a picture of, and I frankly think it reflects pretty poorly on the Jets. You know, trading one of your star young talents because you don't have enough center depth to really support him, or give him just general support around the roster, to me it's not acceptable. And Charles Houdon would be a very inexpensive option that I think would immediately slot into Winnipeg's middle six, but he's not like a Cody Eakin. Houdon is a legitimately quality center and somebody that I think Laine would have easy chemistry with. He's a good transition skater, he's got nice vision, he can be a little bit of a pest around the net, and I really don't think that since both parties are coming to a bit of a messy divorce, I feel like he wouldn't be that expensive. Houdon, I would feel, would be a nice cheap acquisition and somebody that you wouldn't have to spend too much if you want to bring in and see if he can be a bit of a reclamation project. Houdon's counting stats aren't going to look too great, at least at first blush, just because I feel like he's been playing a really depth checking role, and that's not exactly what he excels at. I think if you give him more of a middle six deployment and some skilled line mates, I feel like Houdon's ability to find and skate into space aggressively, as well as a nice shot and, and pretty good passing instincts would make him more of a threat than what we're seeing now. If nothing else, it gives Winnipeg another middle six C option because they certainly don't have a lot with Brian Little most likely sidelined indefinitely and Andrew Kopp having to take a lot of the offensive load. We certainly know that Cody Eakin was not capable of cutting it at this level and I feel like if you're going to pair him with guys like Ehlers and Line, you need somebody who's a skilled player and that's exactly what you'd be getting in Houdon. Just a couple of seasons ago, he had 30 points in 72 games, and if you put him alongside a gifted sniper or some actual real NHL scoring talent, which he didn't really have as much of as a member of Montreal over the past couple of seasons, I think you're going to find that he's a much better player than he's been given credit for. He had 27 goals with the Laval Rocket in 46 games last season, totaling 35 points, and had 49 points with the Ice Caps in 56 games just a couple of years ago. So this guy is clearly very talented. I just think that you have to find the right match of line mates for him, and if you give him like a guy like Ehlers and Line A on both of his flanks, he's a player that I think could really shine. He is predominantly listed as a winger, but I do recall him actually playing as a center from time to time, and I feel like he'd be more than capable of playing between Ehlers and Line A. Up next, we'll talk a little bit about what potential internal solutions for the Jets to make Line A happy would be, but before then, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about something else involving internal adjustments. If you've ever had to maintain any part of your car, you understand that buying auto parts is always a stressful experience, especially if you don't really know that much about vehicles or the price ranges you should be expecting to pay on car parts, especially when buying from retail brick-and-mortar local shops that stock parts. If you're looking for a hassle-free, stressless experience online, rockauto.com has exactly what you're looking for. RockAuto.com is a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their easy-to-use website allows you to navigate and sort by make, year, and model for your vehicle and set the price ranges you want to pay so you get what you want at the prices you want. Whether you need a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement for the one you dropped that greasy taco on, 
RockAuto.com is sure to have what you need in stock. And best of all, you'll save anywhere from 20 to 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing. Why waste time at a retail store when you can just order online from RockAuto.com and guarantee that they have exactly what you're looking for? When you place an order, write locked on the neat how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need? Visit RockAuto.com today. For those of you who follow my personal Twitter, you probably know that not only have I been a hockey geek for most of the past couple of seasons, but I've also just been a general nerd. I grew up reading comic books, watching anime, and really loving video games. So of course, when I heard about Your Story Transmedia, their local flavor and approach to indie publishing caught my eye. Your Story is a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area. They've just started putting out their own line of comic books, including their flagship comic, The River Nose, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's a supernatural detective thriller mixing elements of X-Files, Mad Men, and Sin City. It's got a very cool cosmic horror vibe running through the background, and then you catch that familiar side of Portage and Maine that everyone knows and loves. You can check out the first issue in ebook form when you go to yearstory.ca and place the order for just $1.99. You can also purchase one of their high-quality 85 by 11 magazine-style first printing runs for just $11.99. And if you're a gamer, be sure to look for their upcoming game, Alien Machine Glow, which focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can find out more about Alien Machine Glow and Your Story's other publications by heading on over to yourstory.ca, and when you place an order, be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Again, that is one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast. As you already know by now, Patrick Laine has been one of the most hotly contested names on the trade market, and certainly one that seems like he's got one foot in the door, though I don't really think it's because he, he wants to leave Winnipeg. I feel like he feels that there's no other option because right now things just aren't working out, and this team doesn't really seem interested in giving him the kind of support that would get him to a place where he feels confident in his abilities and in his production. For me, this saga has been very frustrating because Laine, of course, is an extraordinary talent. He's a very special player. And to see the Jets kind of alienate him in ways that I don't really understand just doesn't make sense to me. When you have a top-line deployment, right? Somebody said earlier today that he'd had, you know, 73% of his shifts with Mark Shifley. I did some digging to see what he's actually doing at even strength. And to a point, yeah, he did actually have quite a few shifts with Shifley, but I think it was earlier in the season when he was playing with Kyle Connor as well. And when you look at that, it's more like a 60% even strength shifting and I think the other argument was that he's been getting power play one time, but that actually wasn't true for a while. He was on the second power play unit, and we all were very upset about it for, I think, several weeks or even a couple months. The reason that they even put him on the second power play unit after he was struggling to score on the first power play unit was because they felt that it would get him going, and they needed a change of, of scenery, I guess, for his particular talents. But I think what really happened was that they just don't have players who can pass the line fast enough, especially on that first power play unit. Everything is run through Neil Pionk's stick at the point, especially in distribution to that left one-time flanking side, which I don't really understand because I feel like Pionk is actually a better finisher than he is a distributor. And so for him not to be able to pass to line eight with any sort of expediency just kind of killed what makes Patrick special. Somebody else's article a few weeks ago quoted something I said a while back talking about line A you know, having goalies adjust to him and read him a little bit better and always cheating to that left flank where he was going to be. But the only reason that it's working now is because the passes that go out to him aren't fast enough. Line is taking all the shots that he can, 
but unfortunately, if that pass is not given to him at a power play level in, in terms of NHL speed that he can actually work with, he's not going to be scoring goals. In his body language pre-windup, what I noticed was that he was trying to hit it with more force because I think he understood that the pass just never was going to have any velocity. So in order to try to adjust for the lack of speed on the pass, he was going to try and beat goalies with raw power and it just wasn't working out. I think for one thing you need to get Pionk off the point if you're going to have him on that first power play unit because Pionk, as, as good as he is on the power play, and he actually does have a pretty nice shot, especially for tipped opportunities, he shouldn't be the back-end QB. I, I think you need somebody like Morrissey or even, I don't know, DeMello or something. Anyone really who can make a pass more than two miles per hour. I also think that even strength, you know, we saw Kyle Connor end up getting the top-line deployment with Shifley and Wheeler throughout most of the season as it wore on. And I feel like that is a particularly frustrating thing because, for one, that line doesn't really work. And two, even though Patrick Laine's raw time on ice looks impressive, when you actually compare it to the rest of the Jets, you start to notice a couple of trends. For one thing, I think Wheeler actually had a little bit more ice time than he did, but the other issue is that Kyle Connor got most of that extra ice time, and so he was actually one of the leading Jets. Considering Connor's defensive woes, this is a significant problem, and if you take Connor away from Shifley, he's kind of useless in some respects. He still has an amazing shot, he's got great edge work, and he can be a real threat one-on-one, -on -one, but unless he has like an elite space creator shepherding him all the way to the net, he's a bit of a problem. That left Line in the lurch because he had a lot less talented help down the middle. You know, Cody Eakin was centering him for a bit, and Andrew Kopp, though I think Kopp is actually a pretty decent second-line center, he's not exactly Mark Shifley either. At the very least, Kopp is very good at creating space and keeping up with his line mates like Ehlers and, and Line. so in that respect, I think that that's fine. But I also think that the Jets need to be a little bit better about giving him a, a center who can really distribute and feed to him. And Jim Matheson, who is an Oilers reporter that, you know, his hockey takes I didn't always agree with, but certainly he hit the nail on the head when he said he didn't understand this whole situation. Why not just move Wheeler back to center? Because I think you do need to cut back Wheeler's minutes a bit. I think his age has started to show over the past couple of seasons. And when he's been to center, he's actually been very decent. Unless the Jets are heck bent on bringing in some kind of a second line center through a trade, I just feel like you need to work within your, your constraints. And moving Wheeler back to center, even though it's not exactly his preferred position, would be a much better fit especially for the near term where you need to keep Line A happy because I don't think you're going to get a good trade package, especially in this market. The Jets just have an asset that people know is unhappy and that always gives other teams more leverage, especially for a high-end scoring talent like this. Because even though the Jets have ownership of his RFA rights, he's still only got one year left on his contract, which can be a bit of a messy negotiation if he doesn't want to show up. I just don't understand what the reasoning behind Winnipeg not giving Line A more support is because it's clear that he can be a very capable contributor and he's really starting to grow and round out his game, but he needs help. Connor always gets the best of the deployments and, and is always used in all of these situations that he's not really suited for, and Line always seems to get the shaft somehow. I feel like Line's all-around game is more suited to what the Jets want to do, and he's actually better at it, so I don't understand why he continues to trail in deployments and ice time and isn't always given the most preferential treatment. If I had a 50-goal scorer on my team, I would immediately try and find the best lineup combo that doesn't torpedo his best skill sets, because if you put him on a line with Shifley, you actually need to give him a good flanking winger that also isn't Connor. All I know is that the Jets are an immensely frustrating team right now, and we're heading into a very difficult next couple of weeks where I'm sure trade talks will be intensifying, so if Winnipeg can't figure out a way to resolve this, they need to find ways internally to get this at least to a passable state, because Line a is a special talent, and they probably won't get another player quite like him for a long, long time. 
Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast. As I mentioned earlier, I thought about talking a little bit more about Winnipeg's future. You know, we've talked about internal solutions to how the Jets are supposed to manage this Patrick Laine situation. And really, it's going to come down to what the team needs overall, because there are a lot of things that they need to address at this upcoming draft and probably through some trades. For one thing, I think the the pressing need for a a top-line center is is really a huge need, and they're not going to get it at 10th overall, most likely. I think what they're going to find is a top-six center or a middle-six center who's going to be really good and most likely closer to being NHL-ready, although they may not have the kind of impact that you're looking for for an elite center. In my mind, that's 100% fine. You know, I I think what you need to do is, is find somebody to cultivate, and I think that there will be a few options available to them. I would certainly be very happy if Anton Lundell is sitting there at 10th overall because Lundell plays a very mature game. He's, uh, you know, I've talked about him a little bit as being like David Gustafson 2.0, right? So he's fine. If, though, you somehow come across a guy like Marco Rossi or Cole Perfetti, I feel like you have to do it no matter what. I mean, both of those players are phenomenally talented. I told you on yesterday's episode that they almost fell to me. One of them at least almost fell to me during the mock draft, and I was like salivating at the chance to to give Winnipeg a really good top six center, even though we ended up settling for, for Lundell. Beyond that, I think you start to get into some weirder players, and I think, you know, Seth Jarvis is one that's been linked to the Jets. Jake Sanderson has been another name that's been tossed around, and I think for both of those players... One of them does fit an immediate need for the Jets. Sanderson, I think, is a a top four defenseman who's a really good transition skater. And even though he's probably not going to be like a Miro Heiskanen or anything, I think Sanderson will be the kind of player who is a good fit for what the Jets need, especially in moving the puck out of the defensive zone, facilitating neutral zone transitions, and just playing a fairly sound two-way game. I did hear that he has had some trouble at the NCAA level, which is not surprising because it is a bit of a step up from where he was playing for Team USA, but that sort of comfort level will come with time. The other guy that's been linked to the Jets is Seth Jarvis, and I feel like Jarvis is one of those players that's a bit unusual. He's more of like a complementary offensive piece in that perhaps he's not exactly the one creating most of the offensive opportunities because he's not facilitating build-up play. What he's doing is ultimately being one of those final creation pieces where he's closing in towards the slot area, he's creating direct shots on goal, and he's doing whatever he can to create threat in front of the net. But he's not like a lead creator in the sense that Nikolai Ehlers is. You know, he's probably more in line with, gosh, I don't know if I really have a great comparison for him. I I feel like he's just not somebody who's the space creator himself, but he takes advantage of whoever else is creating space and capitalizing on offensive opportunities around the net. So, you know, he might be a little bit more of a finisher or, you know, a first primary assister on those goal mouth opportunities. Another player I might have some interest in is Rodian Amirov, who Will, we've had, you know, Will Scouching on this podcast a couple of times to discuss some different prospects, and Will is a huge fan of Rodian. And from what I've been able to find of Rodian, as well as Will's reporting, he's a very talented, gifted winger with a really great shot, really nice skating, very good stick handling, and a really good sense of space. Amirov is a bit of a Swiss army knife in that you can use him in multiple roles, and I feel like he'll be an excellent attacking winger. You know, he might not be, again, in the same category as like a Nikolai Ehlers. He's probably more like a Seth Jarvis in that he's somebody who is seen as more of a facilitator of offense, but I think that that is totally fine, especially for like a top 10 or top 15 pick. I think that you'd be thrilled with the kind of skill sets that he brings with him. And he has the sorts of special tools that I think with further refinement could make him a genuinely scary offensive threat. 
especially on a team that is as stacked as Winnipeg is in the top six. Find that bit more of a balance and, and maybe a second line center, and I think the Jets genuinely have something to work with going forward. We'll know a bit more next week because the draft is almost upon us, and I am certainly a little bit nervous about what's going to happen, and, and maybe the best option is for the Jets to even trade back, if that might be a thing that legitimately happens. And I think of the next episode, we'll talk about what kinds of prospects the Jets should target if they do in fact trade back. That's going to do it for today's show, though. Thank you so much for listening, and before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Have a great night, and go Jets go!